This is Dropped Among This Crowd, a podcast that dives into the music and community of improvisational progressive rock band, Umphreys McGee. Each week will feature a rotating schedule of insightful full show recaps, interviews with fellow Umphreaks, members of Team UM, as well as other musicians who have been inspired by and or played with the band. This is your place for all the latest news and happenings within the world of Umphreys, helping keep you informed on what's been recently released or where you can catch the next show. I'm your host, Sarah Jahimiak. Thanks for joining me as we dive in. Are you prepared for what comes next? Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for this week of Dropped Among This Crowd, which is actually episode number 100, which is so, so awesome to think about all of the episodes that have happened and all of the amazing people that I've met because of this show. And I just want to shout out my amazing editor, Eric, and all of the other people that have been on the show, helped the show in some way, shared the show on social media, whatever. Um, I am so appreciative of all of you that listen. Um, This has just been an awesome, awesome thing. And I'm so grateful for all of you. Anyway, I hope that you were able to check out last week's episode, which featured my awesome interview with Michael Palmazano, aka Mr. Guitargate on YouTube. It was such a pleasure talking with him. I want to thank him again for his time. We talked about him and his family, his musical background and history with music, why he started his YouTube channel, and what he's most excited about when he sees his first Umphreys McGee show. If you did not give that one a listen, there is a link in the show notes where you can find it. Definitely listen to it if you haven't. And also, for the first time ever, there is a video of the interview, um, something I'm exploring to see if folks are into it. You can find it on YouTube and also on my personal Instagram page on IGTV, and I'll link where you can find both in the show notes as well. Before we dive in, I want to share with you an amazing offer exclusively for my listeners from audible.com. Audible.com allows you to choose from thousands of audiobook titles to download that you can listen to offline anytime, anywhere. The app is free to download and can be installed on all smartphones and tablets. And something I thought was awesome, you can listen across devices without losing your spot. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and personal development. Every month, members receive one credit to pick any title from a number of genres and subjects, two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs. Also, if you can't decide what you want to listen to, don't worry. You can keep your monthly credits for up to a year and use them to binge on a whole series later if you'd like. I personally love reading personal development books and biographies about musicians, which I'm sure is not a surprise to hear. 
I've listened to some really great ones using Audible. A few that I loved were The Five Second Rule by Mel Robbins, Girl Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis, You Are a Badass by Jen Sinchiro, and some incredible biographies like The Dirt, The Motley Crue Story, Gold Dust Woman about Stevie Nicks, and Life by Keith Richards, which was absolutely phenomenal, and I seriously recommend that book to every music fan that I know. No matter what your favorite genre, Audible has something you'll enjoy. Head to audibletrial.com slash dropped among this crowd and you'll receive a 30-day free trial of Audible and a free audiobook of your choice. A perfect way to snag that book you've been meaning to check out. That's audibletrial.com slash D-R-O-P-P-E-D-A-M-O-N-G-T-H-I-S-C-R-O-W-D for your free 30-day trial of Audible and free audiobook. This week, continuing with interviews with awesome folks in our community, I am pleased to bring you guys my chat with writer, director, and producer of the film The Canyonlands, Brendan Devane. In case you did not know, Brendan Bayless and Jake Sinegar created the score for this soon-to-be-released horror film, Really looking forward to you hearing more about Brendan's different path to filmmaking, the process of how the idea for this movie came to fruition, Bayless's initial reaction to being approached about doing the music for the film, what it was like working at Skywalker Sound, plus a bunch more. Brendan is also kind enough to share a little clip of music from the film for us. You guys are not going to want to miss this one. Are you trying to find a place to get the word out about your shirts, pins, jewelry, interesting trinkets, band that's going on tour, or small business that's looking to connect with some like-minded folks? Dropped Among This Crowd pod would love to help, including ad time on the show, ticket giveaways, social media plugs, product reviews, and more. Dropped Among This Crowd can help you reach and be seen by tons of fellow umfreaks, musicians, and other kind folks looking to purchase from you, work with you, and support their fellow um family. Email droppedamongthiscrowdpod at gmail.com if you're interested in chatting more. So here is my conversation with writer, director, and producer of the film The Canyonlands, Brendan Devane. Enjoy. Introduce yourself and tell everybody uh, who you are, why you're going to be on the show today. Sure, no problem, Sarah. Uh, my name is Brendan Devane. Uh, I'm a writer, director, producer of the film The Canyonlands, um, which is coming out later this year. And we're on the, the podcast today with Sarah talking about Umphreys McGee because Brendan Bayless and Jake Sinager from Umphreys McGee created the all original score for this film. Um, there also is some Umphreys McGee music licensed in the film that people are familiar with and will hear it as well. And uh, I had, you know, worked with those guys for, I don't know, a good part of six to eight months putting it together. And, uh, they, you know, it was an, an amazing experience. I am also, of course, a, a, a big Umphreys McGee fan. So it was, uh, it, it was definitely really cool to be inserted into Brendan and Jake's writing process and uh, to, to work with them. I bet. I bet. So 
we'll we'll start with there being an Umphreys McGee fan. How many shows have you seen? <laughs> I have no idea. Okay. Um, I I worked in the music business for a long time. I was actually on the String Cheese Incidents Road Crew uh, for years back in from '99 to '04, and did hundreds and hundreds of shows with them. The first time I saw Umphreys, I re- remember seeing them was uh, Bonnaroo 2002. Uh, which I think was the first Bonnaroo, because um, String Cheese was there. We had a Keller Williams incident and playing on the main stage, and, I was, and we had our tour bus there. And so walking around, I remember seeing them. Um, and just over the years, like, uh, you know, when Anchor Drops came out, I, I love that album. I love Safety um, um, by Numbers. I thought Nemo was the greatest song ever when it came out. I still like Nemo a lot. Uh, and... Um, yeah, I, I don't know how many times, if, you know, if I had to guess, maybe 100, 120, I'm not sure. <laughs> nice, nice, very nice. So, let's talk about the movie. Where did you come up with the idea for the film? Uh, well, I've been writing screenplays for over a decade now, and most of the, most of the stuff that I've written would be for larger budgets, you know, 10, $20 million stuff, you know, studio type films. And a couple of years ago, I was, it was kind of an exercise in writing something that I felt that I could film my own on a, on a, on a doable budget. And so, it, you know, when I built it, it was kind of like you have to start at, at any, um, a setting that isn't going to cost a lot, right? You know, not building sets and stuff like that. Um, and I lived in Telluride, Colorado, which isn't very far from Moab um, for, for years in, in, in the 90s. And used to go to Moab a lot. And I really like southeastern Utah. And I just thought it would be a cool setting for, uh, you know, a horror movie that really hasn't been done kind of out there. Um, and so it kind of started with that. It started with the setting. And uh, then I kind of just evolved the story to kind of match the setting of the, you know, these these contestants or contest winners winning a rafting trip down the Colorado. Um, and then, you know, concocted the, the horror suspense aspect story around that using uh, a, a general native American theme and uh, some pretty classic horror tropes too. But um, it's, it's an original story, but it all started with the, with the setting. And that's why it's called the Canyon lands because, it, it's really another, the land there is really another character um, and why we had to shoot it on location, which presented a ton of problems uh, for production out there because we were 20 miles away from anything. Oh, wow. uh, but it was really necessary to, you know, like I live in Las Vegas and there's Red Rock Conservation Area 20 minutes from where I live and Lake Mead is technically the Colorado River. So I probably could have filmed it around here for a lot less trouble and probably money but it just wouldn't have had that authentic feel like like it does now. I mean, like our rafting scenes, we're rafting down the Colorado, you know, we're right where we're supposed to be. So, um, yeah, I guess to answer your question, it just kind of, it, it kind of evolved from a writing exercise of trying to put together something that I thought was cool and original, but doable on a independent film budget. Very cool. So, is this the only horror movie that you've done? What other genres of film have you done? 
Yeah, this is this is the the, the first horror one. Um I've written uh kind of a crime suspense stuff, some action fantasy kind of things and a and a comedy. So a bunch a swath of other stuff. Um and it, it was intentionally picked out to be a horror as um it's generally a genre that's accepted as as in you know kind of in, independent films doing it um you don't necessarily need a name cast in your in your horror film for it to be say financially successful or successful and that's what really can kind of blow up some budgets right you know if you cast mm-hmm. your film not that that's horror films but you know what i mean like you know the actors kind of take up a large part of your budget so it was part of more of the business decision about the film of what genre to film in that would give its best chance for um success okay that makes sense so when you were coming up with all the ideas for the movie all the pieces and everything and the subject of music came up did you know right away that you wanted brendan and jake to work on this you know, I had a strong, I had a strong suspicion. Um, <clears throat> music has always been a huge, a, a, a huge part of my life. I, I grew up in um, a town in upstate New York called Saratoga Springs that has a performing arts center venue, mm-hmm. and it's that bands play all the time. The Dead came in the '80s. I saw my first Gravel Dead show in '88 there, and I lived like a mile from it, and I, we could hear the music as a little kid in my backyard, you know, like like being on the lawn, any other amphitheater. So I've always had a, a really big um, attachment to music, you know, learned trombone when I was really young, played in jazz bands, uh, piano. We had this crazy Steinway piano in my house that my dad somehow had been uh, um, bequeathed to uh, from, a, from a past family member. So I always took piano lessons and stuff like that. And then I taught myself how to play the drums and, Music has always been music and sound has always been a very original part of this movie from the from the forefront, um, especially because in, in the horror genre, so much is is writing on the music of the film, because when you when you watch even things that most people think are super scary without music to them, they're really not that scary. Mm-hmm. And you can take a lot of scenes and do whatever you want with the music. You can make happy music and something that would be intended to be you know, scary would not be scary because of the music behind it. Mm-hmm. So from the very beginning of this, I definitely uh, was thinking about the music and, and, and what to do. And, um, you, you know, Brendan and Jake are, are, are some of the most talented musicians that I, that I personally know. And so I always had a, had a, had a, had a, had a suspicion that they'd be really good at this um, and that they would be able to come up with a score um that that really fit what what I was looking for. So when did you first present the idea to them? Um I I was probably harassing Bayless a couple of years ago about it. Uh because it takes a while, you know, we shot this film in May 2019 is when we actually filmed it out, out outside of Moab and pre-production was a good six months before that. And then it took me a little bit to to just write it, you know, um, and write several drafts and things. So it was, it was, well, it was a year before. And I remember um, maybe first bringing up to Brendan uh, at the will turn in 2018, like, Hey, I'm doing this movie. And and would you want to do the score on it? Um, So yeah, I've been talking to them 
uh, for, for a little bit about it for sure. Um, because of my history in the music business, I now know a lot of, you know, people in, in the business and, and I was talking to other artists as well. And certainly some more well-known artists that would have been better say for, for marketing purposes. Um, but, uh, I'd always had it in the back of my mind that like, you know, one, like, like obviously Jake and Brendan are extremely talented musicians, but they're also two really great people that, uh, I felt confident that not only would, would, would be able to produce, you know, awesome work, but would also be easy to work with. And, um, and so, yeah, I just kind of always had them as my, as my first choice. And it took a little bit of cajoling, uh, especially for for Bayless they had never done it before right and certainly uh especially a horror suspense genre is not necessarily what most people would think when you think of Humphreys McGee right right so um you know it took uh, it took a little bit of convincing but once once they decided to do it that they were all in that's cool so you had also mentioned that there is Humphreys McGee music in the film Talk about uh, selecting the songs um, for that. Well, from, from the very beginning, I kind of felt just because of the, the nature of the story and and how it was going to unfold that, that, you know, most films traditionally in a score have already composed music, right? That you license, like a Days of Confused, right? You know, you license uh, Sweet Emotion or whatever, whatever the song is, and then you insert it or re-edit it for that section of the film mm -hmm. and I just never really thought there was going to be any real good spots where I thought a song would be appropriate for 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 what was happening on screen uh so it kind of came from like a a post-credit thing like what you know what song would I want you know at, when the movie wraps and that's how I kind of approached the uh, Humphrey's catalog and uh, we did manage to squeeze some some um, free cameo stuff in in the actual film. But the, one of the more impressive things about what Brennan and Jake did uh, is they created a a 94 minute. That's how long. I mean, it's probably 97 and a half minutes with credits, but 94 minutes of complete original music, um, which is which is not easy to do, and and took a long time. And I should also point out. We're talking about Jake and Brendan. That uh, Shane Hendrickson for Ivy Lab Studios, that was started by Manny Sanchez, who did a lot of Umphrey's albums, helped produce them, mm -hmm. um, was the sound editor on this film. And he, Shane, took what um, Brendan and Jake did, he's based in Chicago, and helped them and helped put it into a format that was usable for Skywalker sound and the people that that mix it. So I have to mention Shane. Shane was. Uh, super super important he records uh brennan and jake's holiday shows you know from chicago in december and is, and is an integral part of the team that that kevin browning had recommended when they first got on board so shane definitely helped out and was like the sound engineer as well as i need to mention jim leap at boondocks who recorded jake and and brendan um those guys were were fantastic as well yeah i, I love jimmy he's a friend of mine um, so is there going to be uh, an official release of the soundtrack? That I don't know. Okay. <laughs> and that one, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, just because I am not in the, uh, the record-making business. So I don't know much about it. And 
I had a couple conversations with with Kevin because if, if it does get released, it'll be on nothing too fancy. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't imagine why it wouldn't be um, records, but have to go through all the. I mean, there's so much music that didn't get used um, and that did get used. Um, that's going to be a process going through all the tracks and all the raw stuff that was that was created because um you know jake and, and brendan to some extent but jake is just a, a a music creator right that's what that's what he does he, he he's probably enjoying this uh, sabbatical more than most people because he likes to go to boondock every day and just make music right and that's yeah that's what he likes to do um and he produced a copious amounts of, of music for this that then Brendan kind of pared down and, you know, um, compacted uh, and, and chose appropriate sections out. But, but, but Jake would just watch the film and produce 90 minutes of music and do that like every other day. <laughs> so there was always kind of like new music uh, being produced at some, at some point you've got to be like, okay, this, we're going to go with this one. But uh they definitely uh, produced a, a lot of music. So as far as the soundtrack, um, it, it's possible. Um, it, 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 you know, like I, I'm sure, um, you know, the really hardcore Unbreathed fans would be interested in listening because they, pr- they produce some cool sounds and stuff like that. But there's no vocals or anything like that. It would be all instrumental. So we'll, we'll see if, it, if, it, if, if I ever release it. I personally think that would be super cool to listen to. So, <laughs> so talk about uh, working with Skywalker Sound and Lucasfilm for the post-production sound editing. That had to be, you know, pretty exciting. How did that uh, partnership and, and working with them come together? Yeah, that, that was absolutely incredible. And um, certainly an opportunity that equally uh, <laughs> So to work with those guys at Skywalker Ranch, Um, as it turned out, the the first assistant director on the project, um, Matt Webb, his uncle, um, Chris Gridley, has worked for Skywalker Sound for like 25 years and and lives up there in in Marin. And uh, Matt was kind enough to um, drive up there and talk to his uncle after we filmed and tell him about a little bit about the project and see if he was, you know, interested in, in corralling the project up there. And, and then Chris called me and, and we talked and, um, we found, uh, someone there, Jonathan Grieber, who's a supervising sound editor at Skywalker, um, who was willing to take on the project and, and set it all up. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's how it happened. Like most things, right. You know, connections and, um, technically, Skywalker Sounds and Lucasfilm um, are work for hire places. Anybody can hire them. It's just they have so much work. You just have to know somebody there who's willing to take on your project. You know, if I had just sent an email and randomly as hi, I'm this guy who made this film. Well, you guys want to do my thing? I wouldn't have gotten a response. So it was nice to be able to have the personal connection to someone there, and then you know, show them the rough cuts and then, you know, they agree to take on, on the work. And as uh, a generation Xer, I saw Star Wars yeah. in the movie theater in 77. It was one of the first films I can remember seeing. I'm 46 now, about to be 47. Uh, and you know, my brother played with all this stuff. Like we're huge Star Wars fans. So it was um, an absolute thrill 
an experience just to be as a fan to be at Skywalker Ranch and stay there for over a week um, on the premises and go toward Lucas's house and all the memorabilia that he's got on display and stuff. It was it was just mind blowing. Wow. Uh, not to mention that they're the you know the best in the business at, at what at what they do. You know uh, the the studio that we make we recorded in. Um, the Pixar Onward, which just came out, had just been in that same studio for three weeks. They make Star Wars on that stage. You know, it was definitely, it's all downhill from here, right? I don't, I'll never be back at, at the, the main mixing stage of Skywalker Ranch, but um, it, it was it was an, an incredible uh, experience and um, people will hear it. Uh, you know, the sound of the film is 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 amazing. Yeah. As, you know, as, as one would hope, right? Yeah. yeah um, sure. But it, it is, and they were they were they were they were super awesome to work with. I can't say anything, um, you know, better, you know, more about that uh, than that. They were just great. That's awesome. And yeah. I want to do all my movies there. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, so. There were native groups and uh, flutist as well as part of the score. Talk about having um, native people as a part of the film and the music. Sure, yeah. Um, the, 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 there's, as I mentioned before, there's a real strong Native American theme. I don't want to give too much about the, the plot and all that stuff. Not that it's terribly complicated, but. Um, you know, a really strong Native American storyline and theme in it. And uh, we cast authentic Native American actors from as far as way from British Columbia, upstate New York, uh, Minnesota, because it was really important to me to represent the Native community. I'm a, I'm a you know, a, a giant white Irish guy from upstate New York. I am not Native American, <laughs> but I still wanted, you know, I wanted to uh, portray them positively and authentically, and that means bringing in authentic Native Americans on your project. And to go back to, um, you know, the music has always been at the forefront of the creative process for me for this, and definitely trying to incorporate uh, Umphrey's McGee with Native American music uh, was, was a challenge, creatively speaking, in my mind, not actually when we had it done when we did it, but just like envisioning of like, hey, what's this gonna sound like, you know, like, how, how are we going to incorporate these two elements or how am I going to incorporate this Native American music into this horror score, which really hasn't been done, or if it has been done, there's not a lot of it out there. Uh, and so I, I, I knew that I wanted some, at least some Native American drums. And I was searching the inter internet for, to hire some Navajo drummers from Utah or Arizona. And I came across a uh, YouTube video of this this guy Nino Reyes um, who's out of Salt Lake and he was playing the, this flute um, Native American flute on Corona Arch which is an Arches National uh, Park just outside of Moab and it was super haunting I had some effects on it and stuff like that but it just seemed um, you know like really incredibly it was sad and kind of haunting and eerie music. And instantly I just was like, this would be amazing. And this film is just exactly the vibe that I was looking for. So I contacted Nina, who, who also performed for the 2002 Salt Lake uh, Winter Olympics opening ceremony. And has been, you know, he's, I forget how old Nina is, but in his 50s or 60s, but, you know, been performing traditional Native American flute 
for his whole life and uh, dancing too. So I contacted him and, um, you know, he was very open to it from the very, very beginning and uh, helped me, um, you know, get his, get his flute music. And uh, I actually wrote a scene into the film for, for him to appear um, with um, Rhonda or Honey as she goes by. And they're the Native American dancers that you see in the film. Um, and so Nino had, you know, you contact his two shields productions, either talk with him or if you want to contract dancers or drummers or something like that. So he has connections out to the, um, the reservations in, in Utah and other artists. And I wanted a more traditional sound as well, not just his flute, but like, you know, the singing and, uh, the, the drums. And so he, um, put me in touch with this, a native group called wild salmon, who is from Utah as well. And I had them come in. Actually, it was right after I saw Unfreeze at the Red Butte Garden this past summer in Salt Lake. So I think it was like August 4th. On August 5th, we were in the studio in Salt Lake and recorded all the tracks for the um, Native American band who does all the, the singing and the, the drumming that you hear in it. Um, so we combined the wild salmon with Nino's flute playing with uh, Brendan and Jake. <laughs> and I threw it into through it and and and, and Lucasfilm Scott uh, Skywalker sound sound effects and some stuff that they did too as well. So uh, I wasn't sure quite sure how it's all going to work out, um, but it's safe to say that it came out. Uh, I think you know super interesting and cool and excellent and and just what exactly what I was shooting for. That's so awesome. That's so cool. So I would love to know, you talked about how much music was is, has been a part of your life. Where did your interest in film start? Um, that's a good question. My interest in film has, has just been kind of like a general thing, you know, as a kid. Um, both my parents were English teachers. My dad taught high school English for 36 years, and my mom has a PhD in uh, 19th century American literature, which you can just basically teach with. Uh, sorry, mom. But uh, uh, so I've always been reading books since, you know, since I was a little kid. Just, you know, I don't think I said the word ain't until I was in my 20s because I was always had my grammar corrected and stuff like that. <laughs> and and just being um, so immersed in books. And then there's, there's so much of what gets put out by Hollywood in the film industry that the IP comes from books. Mm -hmm. And most of it people don't realize because either A, that book wasn't popular or they changed the title of it. Now, obviously, something like Harry Potter, you know, they're marketing it into the book. But, but many things, you know, like Sideways or The Descendants, Alexander Payne's movies, you know, those are all books. And so I got interested in comparing what people – did to uh you know the films to the books and sometimes you know just like anything else it's great and they really nailed the book or sometimes you're just like wow you know like that's not what i was expecting mm -hmm. uh and you know as I, i've sort of had several lives um after leaving new york and then i was a ski bone in colorado and then i was a roadie and then i was in financial work and self-employed and now i'm a filmmaker um, but it's always, it's always been there in, in the back of my mind um, that, you know, I want, I wanted to make 
movies or cool movies, you know, um, or I guess what I think is cool movies, everyone has their own opinion, but, uh, and I've just been fortunate enough to, um, be in a, in a, in a, in a place where I actually had the time and, and, and the support and, uh, you know, this is self-funded myself and my brother, we own the production company on the, on the film, um, then the funds really, cause that's where a lot of independent filmmaking stumbles, right? You can have the script, you can have everything ready to go, but if you don't have the actual funds to go make it, then you're not going to make a movie. But mm-hmm. uh, I just feel real fortunate to be able at this stage in my life, be able to do something that I know that, that makes me happy. And, you know, that I like, um, you know, going through, I, I wasn't the editor on this project, um, but still going through all the hours of footage and you're just looking for that, two, three, four seconds moments of magic um, that happen on film um, to, to get into the final project. Like I, you know, it's tedious for a lot of people, but I enjoy it. Like I just, I just love the, the details and all that. And, and also, you know, the whole keeping together the whole big picture. Um, so, yeah, I guess, you know, there was, there's, I'm definitely not an example of way to go about doing it. Uh, I didn't go to film school or anything like that, but certainly had a, uh, writing background that helped me kickstart into screenplays years ago and just learning how a three act structure and how to write screenplays. You can learn about a lot about some of the aspects of filmmaking, right? It's not going to help you with cameras or the technical stuff or how to create VFX CGI shots and stuff like that. So, um, but it laid the building blocks and also being a veteran of, of 20 years in the, in the music industry um, helps with the production aspect of, of a film because it's, it's not so different and you still need catering. You still need per diems. You still need to hire these people. You still need housing. You know, it, it's, you still, instead of having a sound system that you're moving around in trucks, you have camera equipment and people. So while there are obviously some big differences between film production and music production they're close enough related that um i was able to along with with amy the upm production manager um uh, on, on the film be able to produce it and be able to put it together too as well so that that really helped very cool um so i would love to know what are your top three favorite films oh geez um, any particular genres? I bounce around. Like, I mean, I like comedies. I like what, I whatever. Like any any genre, I guess, but, like, because it was it, it's it's hard to it's definitely hard to you know to yeah. You know. Um, I would say number number one, uh, the Shawshank Redemption, mm-hmm. probably. You know, it's it's the uh, the the, uh, the full title is Rita Haysworth and the Shawshank Redemption because it's a Stephen King uh, book, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, that movie is just almost perfect as far as I'm concerned in every way, you know, the acting, the directing, the writing, how it's filmed. It's just, it's just quality film. Um, I also like, uh, things like Hero, the Jet, the Jet Li movie, um, that was produced in in China. Uh, I like stuff like that or Crouching, uh, Tiger, Hidden Dragon, as far as other films, but I mean, you know, like Monty Python and the Holy Grail might be one of my favorite films of all yeah, time. Yeah, too, so. it is. it's probably one of my favorite films <laughs> of all time too. <laughs> uh, there's just so many, and, and uh, you know, 
my girlfriend Amy is always chastising me for watching watching films because I, I watch a lot of movies because one I'm in the industry and, and curious about things and two I, I obviously like them right you know I, I want to watch films uh, so I just watch so many it's hard it's hard you know because I can appreciate things like comic. I was never into comic books as a kid, um, but I but I can appreciate some of the, the superhero movies. I, I think the Avengers Endgame is actually a really good film. You know, it's a little bit long for me, um, but it's it's still a good film. And I think you can still find good films still being produced in in, in almost you know every genre. Um, are we going to see another Dumb and Dumber in comedy land? I, you know, I don't know. Maybe. That movie is also, you know, at the top of my list and yeah. stuff like that. So yeah. I can watch things like Sideways, which I completely love uh, Sideways um, and things like The Descendants. And then I can, you know, be entertained with Ace Ventura. Um, so I, I watch a lot of things except horror films. I really don't watch a lot of horror films. Uh, I did force myself to watch a bunch of independent low budget horror films Um in preparation for this one as kind of research for one to just look for things that I didn't want to do or how I didn't want it to look mm -hmm. or, or, or scene. And, uh, or on the other hand, look for things that, you know, I thought they had pulled off as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, I guess I have to go back and look at, at, at my, at what's on my DV, at my DVR of my favorites, like Saving Private Ryan. I also love Almost Famous you know, the Cameron Crowe um, film there based on kind of his experiences as writing for Led Zeppelin. And then he was with Pearl Jam for one of, one of my favorite bands for uh, for several years. And so things like that, you know, are definitely my favorite. Spinal Tap, too. I can't, I can't, I can't not mention this is Spinal Tap yeah, or Best in Show or yeah. any of the Christopher Guest kind of stuff movies because those are just pure gold. Absolutely. 100%. Final Tap is up there. It's, yeah, those are some great films. These are these are movies I'm like writing down. I'm like, I need to remember. We've got time now. I need to remember to watch these movies that I don't get around to watching very often. <laughs> no, you're, not, you're probably pretty busy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so is there going to be any sort of special release with the film? Um, you said it's coming out in the fall. Is there an official date yet? There is not an official date yet, and uh, hopefully will be soon. You know, it's an interesting time in the film business right now um, with the whole uh, coronavirus thing, basically shutting movie theaters and all sorts of releases getting pushed, and mm -hmm. but things coming now on, on demand instantly instead of being released in a movie theater. So, mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, I don't. I, I doubt that the the Canadians will be released into movie theaters, like you know, on a, on a wide scale, just because of the current circumstances in in the, in the industry. Um, I'm going to certainly try to bring it to some places because it does need to be seen on a big screen. With the aspect ratio we shot in, which is 2.39 to one, which is a really wide um, aspect ratio because of where we were and the. the all but like a couple of scenes are filmed outside. So it takes place all outside, either on the river or in these canyons with these giant landscapes. So it really deserves to be seen um, on a on a big screen. And we put together a 5.1 surround sound sound mix with Skywalker sound. And so, I, you know, 
it deserves to be seen and heard in, in a theater. I don't know, um, you know, when that's going to happen. But as far as the as, as the VOD release, uh, I expect to have some sort of um, idea about more about when it's going to be, uh, probably in the next month or so. The film was just completed. I, I, I'm holding up air quotes on the completed because I'm going through the final cut and just there may be one or two shots that may, we may um, add as far as um, post VFX work, um, but it's it's essentially completed now. And so there's many you know distributors and places like Netflix and Amazon and stuff that are waiting to screen the film to see if they want to acquire it. So that's kind of where we're at with that. There's plenty of interest to end. Uh, you know, I can say firsthand, uh, uh, maybe a little biased here, but it, you know, it looks great. It sounds amazing. And uh, the the cast did a great job. It's, it does, it, would it technically qualify as low budget or, I mean, we're, our budget is approaching almost a million dollars. So it's, I don't want people to think that like this is that low budget. It's not, you know, we shot in 8K for a 4K um, uh, final resolution. There will be a 4K UHD version of this out. And, you know, when you work with Skywalker Sound and Lucasfilm, that's not exactly, they don't give you a break or anything like that. So we, we put in a, a, a bunch of money into this film and it's all on screen or what you're going to hear. So um, I'm really excited for, for, for people people would see it. it it was it's been a bit longer in post-production than most films um because we're well over 200 um post vfx shots or cgi shots in the film which is like more than say inception so we're like on the scale of a much bigger movie and it just takes time i have to review each one of the shots and we go through a uh, a process where you know, we give, I give notes and then they fix it. And then, we, you know, that's a process to get the shot to where it needs to be. And then it gets delivered to the editor and sequenced and colored and all that sort of thing. Um, and it's mostly because of where we shot this. It just wasn't practical for us to shoot it in the middle of the night. Um, we have fire scenes and stuff like that, which we did shoot at night. Um, but any of the scenes where people are walking around uh, outside, we just logistically and safety wise, because we are literally miles from anywhere, you know, out in the wilderness of southeastern Utah. Um, we had to shoot them during the day and then we're using a process to put in these night skies with stars and the moon for the moonlight and then a color grading process to make it look like night. And all of that, um, it takes time. And it's such a big part of the film because while, you know, some of it does happen during the daytime, just like any other good horror slasher film, which this essentially is, uh, you know, it's going to take place at night. And for us to achieve that realistic night look where you can still see people, right? We just can't make it totally black where you can't see anybody, the actor's face, and you can't see what's going on. So you have to find a fine line of, being able to see what's happening on screen, but still make it a convincing, or at least people putting putting people into this day for night um, atmosphere, and and then buying it essentially, and you know running with it. So that's just taken that's just taken time because uh, you know I want it to be as good as possible, and, and it just takes time to put all that together. But we're almost done this week. At the end of this week, uh, I think there will be a final wrap on this ending a couple of years of work. So 
which is good. I'm ready to move on to the next project. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been it's been it's been amazing, and um, you know, circle back to to to, to Brendan and Jake. Um, it, it was definitely uh, really cool to be inserted and and get a more of a glimpse into their writing um styles or their writing process like how they how they write their songs and 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 what they do and how they're so different (laughs) you know jake and brendan approach things so differently but when they work together you know it's kind of like the the yin and the yang there that it just that it just balances each other and, and and works great that's very cool so where can everybody listening um, find Canyonlands, follow on social media, all that good stuff. Uh, I think we are on Facebook. Uh, I'm not the best person about social media, but uh, we're on Facebook, uh, The Canyonlands. And I believe our Instagram account is also just The Canyonlands. Okay. Um, and our website is www.thecanyonlands.com as well. Awesome. And so people can follow on those and I'll be, we'll be having a full-blown uh, trailer here soon uh, where I, you know, I released a little teaser trailer, I think in October, I don't know, mm-hmm. the time flies, October or November, uh, that I'll probably just put back or have the, the, the social media people put back up so people can watch that again. Um, because that features music from, from Brendan and Jake. Basically any music that uh, anybody hears from this will be uh, created from, by, by Brennan and Jake, other than the uh, Native American performers, but that's pretty obvious when you hear um, when you hear them. Awesome. So yeah, we're on Instagram, Facebook, and our website. Awesome. I'll be sure all to link the, all that the in there. So awesome. All right. Well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. No, it's been it's been great great talking about them and. Uh, it was, um, you know, re- very cool to go out to uh, Niles and, and Boondock and, and stay there and, and work with those guys. And, and once again, Jim there re- recording the stuff. Uh, Shane in, um, at Ivy Labs in Chicago uh, helping out with, it, of course, Skywalker. And, you know, like I said, it took, took me a little bit to control uh, Brendan uh, into doing it because they – you know, they hadn't, hadn't done a screen, um, you know, a, a score before, um, Jake was all, was all in. Um, but you know, I kind of just put it to him like, you know, in, in Umbol where they have the quarter where people text in a theme and they put it up behind them and then they just play three minutes on that theme, like soaring, uplifting jam part three or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, you're essentially doing this, but instead of having to do it live in front of, you know, thousands of people, you can do it over months or weeks in the comfort of your own homes, you know, mm-hmm. and when, and like, um, because I always firmly believe that those guys uh, could produce the, the, the quality, quality work and uh, they did. And I'm, I'm super excited for, for people to uh, hear what they put together. I'm very excited to hear it. Yeah. I've got, the, I've got a little clip lined up. If you want, if you want to hear a little bit of, of Jake's, I asked for a, um, Kind of like well, they kind of did like more of a southwestern feel from 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 where from where it is, and um, you know from filming filming in Utah. And, I mean, let's be honest too about they're known for being playing a lot of notes, which I love. Yeah. Um, but 
for this one, I kind of want a little bit more reserve. So I'll, I'll play a little bit about like a 10 second clip here, here with some of their music. <laughs> Of, of some of the tracks they laid down for those were scenes of like the desert and stuff like that. Wow, wow, that's very very cool. Exciting. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't be happier with with what they did. Um, they knocked it out of the park, and I know that Jake wants to do more movie work, so uh, I'm sure I'm sure they'll do they'll do some more movie work. They they they, they should. They're they're really good at it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with us. That was very neat. No problem. Uh, and then let us let us know we'll, cause we'll, when this uh, podcast comes out, um, we'll share it on our pages and stuff like that, too. Awesome. Thank you. And I would love to have you on again uh, after the film is released. And, you know, we can talk about all of that if you're interested. This was really fantastic. Yeah, sure. Anytime, Sarah. Thank you for your time. Okay. You too. Take care. So that's everything for this week of Dropped Among This Crowd. Thank you again to Brendan for taking the time to chat with me about the film and a bunch of other topics. It really was a pleasure chatting with you. Anything that was referenced throughout this episode can be found in the show notes, including how you can find the Canyonlands on various online and social media outlets. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you around these parts next week. Mad love.